stick with this one. Thank you. Uh, so, um, as we uh, start the sermon this morning, I've asked Ellen to stay up here. And is Tom around somewhere? Tom, Tom is rushing down the aisle here. He's on double duty this morning uh, as well. And uh, the reason I've asked uh, uh, Tom and Ellen to come up here is because we as a church uh, have a, some convictions uh, about the way we kind of live out the faith. And we think that living out the faith is essentially simple, right? I mean, we, we think about Jesus uh, when asked what was really important, and He summarized everything by saying, look, the key thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, a few weeks ago, we had Tom and Ellen and a few others up here as recipients of a grant from our missions team, uh, which was to encourage people uh, to make initiatives to reach out to their neighbors. And we prayed for them, and this week, you've been up to something. So, tell us what it was you did with the resources that you were equipped with to love your neighbors. So, this week, yesterday in fact, we had an ice cream social in our building. Um, so, we live in an eight-story building. There's six apartments on every floor. Um, we had no idea how many people to expect, but we just put these posters up on the ground floor, posted one through everybody's mailbox just inviting them to come to an ice cream social. And we really didn't know whether four people would come or 80 people would come, like we had no idea. So we just bought three gallons of ice cream from Rain or Shine. And that was really helpful because we were able to supply some nice ice cream with the help of the, um, the funding. And we actually had about 15 people show up. Um, and it was just a really great time. There was all sorts of age groups there represented. People were just having a really great time. Loads of people commented saying, why haven't we done this before? Um, one lady who's lived there since the building was built, which was 49 years ago, said that this was the first time a tenant has organized a social event for everybody in the building. So it was like a proper, we made our first attempt there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. This is this is awesome. I love it. We love this, right? This is great. So, Tom, what did it feel like to uh, kind of make this happen? Are we a bit nervous, or? Uh, yeah, definitely. And in hindsight, we shouldn't have been because, like Alan said, all we really did was print out some flyers, deliver them, and then buy some ice cream. It, <laughs> it actually wasn't difficult. Um, but yeah, I think you do build these things up in your head. But then. One thing that was really, really helpful was Barry and Joan and the other community. You know, they had us around for lunch. They really talked us through everything. They helped us think about some problems we might not have considered and how we could make it work and go really well. Um, yeah, and so they they helped with that a lot. And yeah, looking back, we sh yeah, it was actually <laughs> really easy, and we're super excited to do another one. Really. So, yeah. Hey, we we love the idea of another one, but that's awesome. Thank you for thank you for taking the risk and uh, and going there as part of our community. Uh, building community in a city that is known for its loneliness is awesome work. So well done, you guys. Keep it up and uh, keep us posted as you uh, do the next things. So thank you. That's great. So uh, exciting, exciting times down at Granville Chapel. That's great. 
Uh, some of you have been away. Welcome back. Uh, some of you haven't managed to get away. If uh, you haven't managed that yet uh, and uh, have that uh, waiting for you, that's great. Uh, but we're in a series at the moment called Firm Foundations, and we're going through uh, looking at the values that were settled on by this community when we did a major review of our history and community uh, about 15 years ago. And uh, when we did that, we settled on eight key values, and they are shown here. So what we said was, we are a church that wants to be Christ-centered, spirit-led, to have a focus on the Bible, on prayer, be committed to loving one another, to living out transformed lives, to celebrate universe, unity in diversity, uh, and also to have a key value around service. And we've been working through, over the last few weeks, looking at those values, and today we come to the seventh one, unity in diversity. And uh, we're going to look at that today in a bit more detail, and uh, let's just look at what we actually say about unity in diversity. Here it is. Uh, we intentionally embrace and celebrate our diversity woven together by God as a colorful tapestry of ethnicity, age, gender, marital, and socioeconomic status. So the idea behind this value was that the calling to be the church overrides all the other identity markers by which people traditionally define themselves. And to get at this this morning, we're looking at that first passage that we read together, uh, which was from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, a little bit of background to the letter to the Galatians. The Galatian Christians were largely what the Jews would have called Gentiles or non-Jews. They didn't come from Israel, they weren't Jewish, and they were largely Greek. And the occasion of the letter was a teaching that was being spread around that in order to become fully God's people, these Galatian, Gentile, Greek Christians really needed to undergo the rite of circumcision to become fully Jews. Because the thinking was, there are categories here. To be a real Christian, you've got to be not just a follower of Jesus, but also Jewish. And Paul was Jewish, but he was mad about this line of teaching because he saw what it did to the church. It left a category A group and a category B group. And when you get a situation like that, you are asking for trouble. So Paul, himself a Jew, remember, attacked the teaching in his letter and writing to the Christians, he reminded them that they are all children of God through faith in Christ. By putting their faith in Jesus and being baptized as his followers, they had effectively put 
on Jesus. Much in the same way that when you play for a team, the kit you wear identifies you as a player. So I love Liverpool Football Club, a great team, and I love the red color they wear. But you know what? The individuals who put on that shirt and play for the team, when they are playing for the team, all you see is the color of the shirt they wear. They're the team. They're Liverpool. And in the same way, Paul is saying that for Christians, those who have put their trust in Jesus, they've put on the Jesus shirt, and they are now followers of Jesus. They've put on Jesus, and so they are now the Jesus team. And this new identity is the key thing. It's the important thing. In fact, it's the only thing. Because once you're on the Jesus team, the old distinguishing markers lose their power entirely. It's not about whether you happen to come from a Jewish background or a Greek background, whether you happen to be a slave or a free person, or even whether you're male or female. You'll notice here in this verse that ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and gender are expressly mentioned. These things, which so often people in our world at large think about as the key things, are no longer the key things. What is important is the unity of the team. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul, correcting those misguided enough to feel that they need to become Jewish through circumcision in order to be fully Christian, Paul underlines for them that all on team Jesus are already Abraham's offspring. Remember, he was the father of the Jewish nation. And he's saying, actually, Abraham was the father of faith. And it's a community of faith that God has always been building. And the church is now fully part of that community of faith that God wants to build. So this is how Paul addresses this issue of ethnicity and difference and diversity. And he reminds people that Jesus is really important and that under Jesus, everything else is less important. So how does this relate to us at Granville Chapel? Well, sociologists tell us we live in a world that is witnessing increasing fragmentation. And there is a new tribalism out there, which means that in cities like Vancouver, there is a gradual breakdown of things that bring people together, and people are clustering in smaller and smaller groups. So if you play chess, you can go to a chess club, and you'll find other people that play chess. Cool. Nice for you. And people are defining themselves by their interest circles and uh, the kinds of things they do, the kind of things they wear, uh, those kinds of things. There's, there's a tribalism out there. Go to a gardening club, you'll find gardeners. But, and here's the key thing, the church is not a club for people who like religion. It's a new community in which 
People are welcomed and valued despite their differences. Because we believe that God loves everyone, when we gather as church, it's vital that we extend our welcome to all who come, no matter what their ethnic background or any of the other labels and markers by which they distinguish themselves in our increasingly fragmenting world. The last couple of decades have seen a lot of important thought about the tendencies within people at large that lead communities into trouble. Deep in all human hearts lie dark things like racism and the reduction of others who are not like us through negative stereotypes. Clearly, churches have been guilty of sins like this, and we need to be aware of them and to repent of them. So I'm a white male. I was born in England, and I am a child of privilege. I had opportunities to study, to learn, to travel, and I have grown up in a segment of the world that is resource-rich and where opportunities abound. It's only in more recent years, as I have read history and discovered the legacy of what it really means to be English in a world that at one point had the English flag waving over a quarter of it, that had an empire that exploited resources and people and reduced people to them, the colonial others, that I realize that I have a lot to be ashamed of. My people have done bad things to many, and some of you here are people whose parents and uh, forebears have suffered because of the things my people did. I'm ashamed of that, frankly. I'm not proud of that. As I work out what it means to be English and that legacy, I look around and I see that every country has its issues. And the trouble with racial superiority is that it reduces the other to not mattering. You remember in Nazi Germany, the German concept was that we Aryans are better than everybody else. And once you get that line of thinking established in a society, if you've got some people who are better than everyone else, then you've got a lot of people who are not as good as everyone else. And there is a straight line from that kind of thinking to the gas chambers. And we witnessed that in Second World War. But as I get older and as I understand it more, I realize that in every culture and every ethnicity and every country, there is a tendency to put somebody down. We 
are better than them. Oh, them. We do it within countries. We marginalize people within our countries. But we do it to other countries. And it's that tendency that we've got to be aware of. Call it imperialism. Call it colonialism. Uh, call it whatever other ism you want to call it. But it's the tendency to reduce the other, which is actually at the heart of the problem. Because it mitigates against our ability to build community. The church flies in the face of all that thinking. The church cannot be a club for one particular group in society to validate it and support it. Think about South Africa. That's what the church in South Africa did. Apartheid grew in such fertile soil. The white church thought they had the right to be, and they oppressed millions because they believed that they were better. So how do we address those tendencies, which I believe are there in every human heart, in every culture, and every nation? And how does the good news of Jesus get us over that? Well, I think it starts with our understanding of how we actually need to come to Jesus. You remember Jesus? You remember he came, he lived, he loved, he died, he rose again. And he invites people in their need and in their brokenness to come to him. And when we come to him, he gives us our bright, shiny Jesus shirt to join his team. And from that place of beginning with Jesus in relationship with him who loves us and died for us and lives forever, we have a new power flowing through us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And he helps us look with different eyes first on ourselves. The old line, I'm so good gives way to that second song we sang this morning. I need you. I need you, God, because I don't have it all together. I sin often. There are dark things in my heart that ruin me and will ruin me if I give them full flow in my life. I need help. I need grace. I need a community that will welcome me just as I am. As we are the church then, we meet not on the grounds of we're better than everyone else, but actually on the grounds of we're worse than everyone else. Remember last week, Paul was talking about transformation. And the Apostle Paul, we read that scripture about the Apostle Paul saying, me, I was the worst. I was full of it. I was a persecutor. I attacked Christians for being Christians. And then I met Jesus, and I got my team shirt. He didn't actually put it that way, but, it, but it's what he means, right? And having come a, become a Christian, there is a humility 
that flows out of that reality. We're all here this morning, not because we've arrived, but because we need God. And when we look around and we see each other, we go, ah, you need God too. Welcome to this broken family called the church. And with God's help, let's figure out how to love each other. I love the fact that here at Granville Chapel, when we gather to worship, we are not all English. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. God is a creative God, or even New Zealand, right? I, I, I heard that, Chris, yeah. Um, we're from a patchwork and a, an amazing variety of different countries and ethnic backgrounds. And it speaks to the wonder and the reality that God loves diversity. Just, let's just say that together. God loves diversity. We know this from his created world. I'm a birder. Some of you have got in on that little secret that's not really a secret. But I love going out and seeing the wonder and the variety of what God has done in the bird world. He likes mixing it up. He likes color. He likes size and shape differences. He likes all the differences you can imagine. Because he loves diversity. He's creative. And if he loves that in the bird world, he loves it in the bug world, he loves it in the fish world, and he loves it in the human world too. And we do not all come the same. And it's a great thing that we don't. He's big on diversity. He likes making unique people who are absolutely themselves. And we, as the church in Team Jesus, are called to stand up and recognize the wonder and the architecture and the skill with which God has made each individual person here. It's fantastic. I love meeting new people who come to this church. Often they'll say, oh, you have a great church. And I say, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. We're a, we're a church of broken people. If you're broken, come on in. Because God wants to transform, he wants to change, but it takes longer. But he loves to do it. And the process of church is that as we learn to love God together and as we learn to love each other well, we come in on God's big secret that he's building a kingdom made up of broken people just like us, but it's for his glory. Now, while we're on this diversity, unity and diversity piece, it also speaks to our understanding of mission and the kingdom of God. When you read the book of Acts, we see the story of the beginnings of the church when the Spirit came at Pentecost, and we, saw how the, and we read how the Spirit led the church into obedience to the call of Jesus to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. The church began as a totally Jewish movement, but it wasn't allowed to stay that way for long. Partly under the impact of persecution, partly owing to the express leading of the Holy Spirit, 
Acts charts for us how Philip led a mission to the Samaritans and the Holy Spirit fell on the Samaritans. And then he ran into an Ethiopian official, the first African convert, and led him to Jesus. And then you remember that great story of how Peter helped launch the full mission to the Gentiles through that amazing afternoon at the home of the Roman centurion Cornelius, when Peter, clearly led by the Spirit, went out beyond his comfort zone uh, into a Gentile home, something he'd never done before. And in that context, he discovered that God was working there too. Brilliant. So the tendency of Christians down the centuries has always been to kind of put walls around themselves and say, ah, we are what God is doing. And the tendency of the Holy Spirit has always been to knock those walls down and say, there's more, it's wider, it's bigger, it's more embracing, it's more welcoming than you ever imagined. These people too, I love, I made, I want them in my kingdom. And actually, in our history, as a, a church rooted in the, uh, the Plymouth Brethren, which is the movement in the 1800s uh, that God raised up, uh, a rediscovery of the Bible, a rediscovery of mission, uh, and the calling to proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever, we stand in that heritage of proclamation globally. Now, this is not a colonial instinct, although there may have been aspects of it at times that looked a bit like that. And it's not something to be ashamed of, but it's actually a genuine impulse of the Holy Spirit. It's not saying our culture is better than yours, so you need to get Christianity. It's actually saying we broken people have discovered life in Jesus and we know it has changed our lives so much that we want you to have that. And in a time in the church when mission or evangelism or sharing the good news is somehow a suspect because of imperialism and colonialism and all these words which are real and have issues and that we really need to think about, I just want to come back to say it's God's love of diversity and God's commitment to building His kingdom globally that drives true mission from the church. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it. We should be part of it, and we should be encouraging it, and we should, yes, be thinking about how to do it well, and how to do it humbly, and how to do it out of a place of brokenness, not superiority. Absolutely. But we can't apologize for it, because God loves diversity, right? Isn't that what we believe? And isn't the good news of Jesus life-changing, transformative, and wonderful? The answer to all those questions is yes, yes, yes. Okay, the last passage we looked at this morning was from John's vision of the throne in Revelation. In the worship that surrounds the throne are a great company praising God and the Lamb. The Lamb, of course, is Jesus who died and rose again. The lamb, they say, is worthy to take the scroll because he was slain. And with his blood, he purchased men and women from every tribe, language, people, and nation. 
forming them into a kingdom and priests to serve God and reign on the earth. The future of those of us that are committed to following Jesus is a bright one. Because God, who created diversity and loves it in all his creation, is opening his arms wide to welcome people from everywhere. Knowing that, we at Granville have the opportunity to experience a little bit of that in the here and now. Just look around you. Take, that, take a moment. Kind of swivel in your seats. Yeah, you can do this. Look around. You see variety. You see diversity. You see difference. And God loves diversity. So how can we as a community foster that? How can we love people who are, are not like us better? One of the ways we can do that is actually using the gift of hospitality. Welcome people in. Welcome particularly the people that you don't know. You'll learn something. They're different. They may eat different food. They may like different things. They may express themselves in different ways. But as you reach out to become somebody who celebrates diversity, You'll be enriched. Here's the thing. You'll grow as you discover the wonderful people that God has pulled into his kingdom. You won't be lonely. You'll be loved. And you'll love. And God will stretch your heart to love what he loves. The diversity and the individuality and the specialness of each person that he has made. Can we do that, Granville Chapel? Can we be that church? Can we hang on to the unity in Christ that we have been given and celebrate all that diversity? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your love of diversity. Thank you for this amazing world that you've put us in with all its different types of fauna and flora, with all its different types of birds, animals, and people. Thank you that all these speak to your creativity and your love of variety. Lord, may we be a church that welcomes and embraces all people. And may your love be real as we seek to follow you and be the people you call us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.